last. It's not in the notes, but this is important. If it's on your phone, you're probably faster than people flipping paper. If you're there, say there. If you're not there, say not there. All right, everybody's there. Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant. Let's just look at Jesus right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's always the same. He never changes. So this will always be true of the Lord's Son, the servant, right? It's capital S if you're in New King James. Capital M, being my, that's God. Servant, capital S, God, right? Behold my servant whom I uphold. If you want to be upheld through this season, raise your hand. You really do want to be upheld because if you're not upheld, then you're let go. And if you're let go, then you suffer the loss of all things and eternity separated from God. You want to be upheld, okay? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. So the Father delights in this character. I put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the Gentiles. It will work. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. So this is the part that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. This is, the, this is what God upholds in this season. If you don't cry out or raise your voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. That means if the, if the reed is like bent over in half, you'd be like, that thing's done. He's like, no, not yet. If the Father says it's done, it's done. But until then, I'll, I'll wait with this bruised reed. A smoking flax, he will not quench. You might be like, that one, they're done. They're out of fire. Count them out. Let them go. And he's like, no, still smoking. He'll bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So right now, Yeshua is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's still this way. He's still like, I'm not breaking off a Brent Reed. I'm not quenching a smoldering flax. He said it like this to his friends. He said in Matthew 13, they were like, should we go out and gather the tares out of the wheat? And he says, no. That's not your job, actually. So when Noah was prophesying, he said, God's enthroned on the praises of his people Israel. That's Psalm 22 that Noah was quoting. He's not enthroned on the seraphim. He's not enthroned on angelic beings. According to that, for us, he's enthroned on our praises. So if you want him to be your king and your God, then you actually want his character and you want to worship him and enthrone him. And this is who the one we're putting on the throne, this one. So you can't be like yelling in the street, trying to manipulate people into seeing things your way, tr- trying to get your voice to be prominent among others, trying to get your ministry seen before all others and still have this king. And you can trick yourself and use all the words that he's your king, but it's your character, it's your worship in spirit and truth that enthrones him over you. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. But this is the consistent character of Yeshua through and through the Bible. It's Old Testament and New Testament. There's no difference in who God is, Old Testament, New Testament. So when you hear like people say, the Old Testament God, he's violent and angry and judgmental. This, this is the Old Testament God. <laughs> okay, so you just have to know the full counsel of Scripture. Go with me to page one of the notes. So I have a handful of chances to speak here, and I appreciate being invited to do so. And while I'm speaking here, this is what I feel like the Lord wants me to talk about, what it means to practically give your life to Jesus. 
Because all over the earth, there's a field in the churches, in every single place where the body of Yeshua gathers, and even where it doesn't gather online, where, you know, lots of people are considering themselves part of the body of Yeshua, but they're not doing that Hebrews 10, not giving up the head of a meeting together, stirring up each other in loving good works even more so as we see the day approaching. The body of Yeshua, some of it's a smoldering flax, some of it's a bent reed, right? But all over the earth, there are people that the Lord is testing right now to find out, will they break off? Will they go out? Will they not bear fruit? Or will they bear fruit? Some 30, some 60, some 100, okay? Philippians 4, 5 to 9. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So the witness that God wants is gentleness. And it's not just gentleness as expressed to the world. He wants gentleness in his family. We're supposed to stir one another up into gentleness. So if we're agents of harshness, or we're agents of judgment, or we're agents of something other than gentleness, we're actually a false witness in the last days. That's not good. Okay? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. It's an, this is an end time teaching from Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is what harms your gentleness. It's what, it's what makes it ungentle. Okay? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So it's not just prayer and supplication. It's prayer and supplication with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that I have people to pray with. This is awesome. Thank you, God, that I have a God who's gentle. Thank you, God, that I have a God who doesn't count people out just because they look like they might be dying. He doesn't cancel people out just because it looks like they're having a hard time right now and they're smoldering. He actually has a different character than the world. And this is the one that will bring justice. This is the one that will be successful. No other character will be successful. Only Jesus. He's the only one worthy. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Just put your hand on your head for a second. This is what we're going to be talking about today. With the war that is going on for your thought life, okay? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, if you could find even the smallest whiff of smoke from the flax that is smoldering, anything, is there anything you can say, yes, I see the witness of the Holy Spirit in that thing or that person. There's anything like that. Meditate on these things. Focus on that. Don't focus on what's broken. Do not focus on what's wrong with other people. Don't focus on what's wrong with you. Focus on what God is doing. Otherwise, you will go where the devil is going. You're going to go where you're looking. Focus on what God is doing. And right now, I hear the Lord saying, this is a communion passage. So when we take communion, you know, it's like the ritual or the religious activity of communion. You're like, okay, I've got to clear my heart before I take that bread and drink that cup. This is a communion message. Don't take this message until you've done a little housekeeping inside. So I just want everybody to close your eyes right now. Have you been focusing on what people are doing wrong? Repent right now. God, I'm sorry. Have you been focusing on how things aren't working? God, I'm not looking at you. You're always working. Have you been focusing on things that you think are dying And in your mind, having a revolving conversation about when it's going to die, repent right now. God, I'm sorry. 
You're not a God who brings death. You're actually a God who brings life. Lord, just make us clean to hear this. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Meditate on these things. Think about them. You cannot change your emotions. You can only change your mind. There's only really one thing in all of your sanctification, in all of your getting of righteousness, there's really only one thing that's given unto you to control. Do you know that? The only thing you're given to control is your thought life. If you read the Bible, you can search it. You'll find the only thing God says, you do this part, is take every thought captive. To actually think about what you're thinking about. To actually let go of what you think is right, what you think is true, what you think should be done, what you think shouldn't be done. To let those things go and then to let him tell you what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and what he's doing. That's your part is to control your thought life. And you can. And you know you can if you've practiced anything. You practice guitar at first. You don't think right. Then your hands don't move right. But you practice. You think about it. You think about it. You think about it. He put that on you. Okay? He put that part on you. So a lot of times we're here, we're like, it's all on God. Well, not all of it. it. This part, this is where your prayer life is found. You can use the exact same energy to complain, to worry, to doubt as you can to pray. So your prayer life is a thought decision. We say thought decision. Your thought decisions, God will not violate them. That's why he warns over and over, do not be deceived, because he will not take control of your thought life. He refuses to. But you can give him your thought life. Isn't that beautiful? That's called love, okay? Item one, self-control equals mind control. So the name of this message is self-control, the witness Yeshua requires. So when you read about gentleness, you can't just be gentle, but you can decide that your thoughts aren't gentle, and you can open up your heart, get his gentle thoughts, and what will follow are his gentle emotions and his gentle actions. But if you just grit your teeth and try to be gentle, you will break everything in Jesus' kingdom. And you'll think you're amazing at doing it, okay? You'll think you're helping him so much. All sin starts within your heart. It begins in your thought life and manifests in your first, in first your words, then in your actions. Matthew 15, 17 to 20. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? So you might think, well, if you drink too much, that's where sin's coming from. Or you might think all kinds of things about what's outside of you letting it in, right? If I watch that thing, if I... Now, don't get me wrong. You can affect what's coming out of you by what you let in for sure. But what you let in isn't what's making you sin. Jesus was around all kinds of sin, He let it all in. He loves all of us. He knows all of our thoughts, and somehow it doesn't defile him. It's what comes out of his heart that qualified him to be the Messiah. It's what comes out of his heart that saves everything. And if there was anything dark that came out of his heart, that would be where sin is, but he didn't sin, right? But he was around all kinds of sin, okay? So you can get religious in your mind and be like, don't touch that, don't drink that, don't think that, don't do that, and you could still be completely lawless and against him. So you don't want that. You don't want to waste your entire life trying to not do things that don't help you be righteous at all. They only let you believe you're making yourself righteous. It's a delusion. It's deception, okay? So all sin starts within your heart. It begins in your thought life and manifests in first your words, then your actions. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart? Oh, I can hear my sin here, but it starts here, right? And they defile a man. 
For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So you can do all kinds of things externally, and people will look at you and be like, oh, you're really religious. It's funny, in, in Israel, people wear religion. Like, that's what they do. They wear it. You could see somebody with, a, with the tzitzit, the, the little strings that come off the four corners of their robe. They could be wearing a kippah, and they could be drunk as a skunk in the, in the shuck and swearing and being violent at the same time. But in their minds, because they're wearing all the right things, they are holy. Do you see the delusion? You can be in a meeting right here. You can come up to the mic and say the prayers. You can sing the songs. You can do the service. And in your heart, be thinking thoughts that are defiling you. And God's not confused about it. He's not tricked at all. And if you're not gentle in your thought life, if you're not meek and lowly, if you're not yielding to the spirit and other people, you're actually being tested right now and you don't even know it. And he's not confused at all. He will consider that just as fleshy and surface as the guy in the shuck that's drunk and wearing the tzitzit and swearing and being violent with people. Same thing. It's only the leadership of Jesus, his personality in your words, but more importantly, in your thought life. That's what's qualifying or disqualifying you as a weed or a tear right now. It's got nothing to do with what everybody else sees. It's got to do with what God sees inside, okay? Your heart is your mind, will, and emotions. This is the birthplace of all sin. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Man in our flesh tries to control sin by attempting to control our behavior. Bite our tongue, grit our teeth, block our eyes, resist our flesh. You can't resist your flesh, I just want to tell you. This will never work, but instead results in more demonic activity and thus more uncontrolled flesh. The harder you try, the more God will give you over to the failure of it so that you will come to him and let him change you. The harder you try, hear what I'm saying, the harder you try, the more God will give you over to your own self-leadership. It's a serious thing to resist God and want another Savior, including you, okay? It's a serious thing. But your mind will mess with you, and it will tell you that that's humble and that you love God because you're trying so hard. But that's not true, and it won't work. That's the delusion and deception that Jesus is warning about. Now, the ultimate expression of that deception, that I could do the things God wants done without Jesus and his leadership and the humility of waiting on him, that's the spirit of Antichrist. So it's going to manifest fully this idea in a whole group of people that want to do the most good on the earth, especially for Israel, with really good intentions. But they will lay siege to Israel, and they will kill a third of the city of Jerusalem. And God will come and fight for her when they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We can't save ourselves. It's better to trust God than in men. That's Psalm 118. That's happening all over the earth. Israel isn't just shaken in Israel. Israel is shaken among the nations. And it's happening right now. And what God is looking for is, are you a self-led person? You can know by your thought life. Or are you a spirit-led person? And you can know not just by your thought life, but what proceeds out of your mouth, especially just to yourself or just to those closest to you, those you feel safe complaining to. And then what proceeds in your actions, okay? This is so important. This is what the Lord's talking about right now. So the kingdom does not operate in man's strength in the subtraction of sin. The kingdom will, it refuses to operate in man's strength. The kingdom refuses to operate in the subtraction of sin. What I mean is God's kingdom, it doesn't come because sin is removed. It comes because God's glory is released, Sin being removed is just a void. It's just empty. 
God's glory needs to be released. That's different. Do you see what I'm saying? You're going to be very tempted to try and do the right thing. What everybody thinks is the right thing. God's kingdom will not come that way. God's kingdom will only come when you say and do the things the world hates. This is very important. It starts here. It starts here. There are worldly elements in our being. And so when people say something prophetic, when they do something prophetic, when they do something in agreement with God, it's all a chance for us to humble our thought life, come up to the Father and say, Father, is that you? Is that what you're doing? Not in doubt. I don't think that's God. That's evil to say, I don't think that's God. But to come up to the Father and say, Father, is there something I don't know about happening here? Is there somebody saying something I never knew before? And if, you, if God always agrees with what you think you're God, if God's always like, yeah, you had a great idea again. There's another good one. Yeah, you are doing so good. You're really growing up in the Lord. Yes, way to go. That you're, you're not following God. That's not the way God spoke to anybody in this book. He chastised those he loves. He corrects sons. If you're not getting actively corrected day by day, you're not his. You're just delusional. You think you're helping him, but you're not. So this is freedom. Don't walk into a yoke of bondage of religion. Walk out of it. Be you. Be you needing God. Little old you needing big old God. That's what he's looking for. It's really simple, actually. It's super simple. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, be like, oh, that's so good. They cast out the demon. He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven more. Wicked than himself, they enter and dwell there. And the last day of that man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. You know, God doesn't want every demon cast out. You might just make somebody a lot worse casting out a demon. If they're not ready to fill it. I mean, you ever experienced this? I have many times. I've seen somebody demonized. I'm like, Lord, should I pray? Should I cast it out? Should I approach them? And he's like, no. They don't want truth. They don't want to receive me. This is the best state. This is the best possible condition they could be in to find me until they decide they want me. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. This is so important. The flesh profits nothing. You literally cannot resist sin on your own or even help God with it. You can't help God resist sin. Did you know that? You can resist the devil. Because the devil operates in your thought life. But you can't resist sin. Sin is something that's proceeding out of your heart. Do you see the difference? Sin isn't something you do. Sin is something you are until you aren't. And the Bible says, if anybody says they have no sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. So until you've conquered a sin, you are that sin. That is you. Okay? This is really, really important. I can't emphasize that enough. So the flesh profits nothing. You literally cannot resist sin on your own or even help God with it. You can only let God in to your mind, will, and emotions by letting the Spirit tell you things you don't already think, give you emotions you don't already feel, and change your will. You have a lot to do if you're going to do this before Jesus comes back. If you're going to be perfect before Jesus comes back, which you must be. Now, I don't mean perfect in execution. I mean perfect in concern. Perfect in conversation, perfect in letting your words express to God, I am not okay being sin before you. Because you're going to be before him face to face. You're before him right now. This is the irony of the whole thing, is you're before him, all your thoughts, every thought you've ever thought, every thought you're ever going to think, it all is laid out clear before him already. He just wants to deliver you from the sin that you're already in. 
But until you yield into that, now I'm not talking about not drinking stuff. I'm not talking about not watching stuff. I'm not talking about not going places. I'm talking about letting the Holy Spirit in. If you let the Holy Spirit in, he will change what you want. But if you try to change what you want, you're trying to be God. You can't. You can only want to want to. You have to tell him you want to. And it's, the, the gospel's consistent this way. This isn't like some new idea. This, if you want to read about this, Romans 8 lays it out so clear. I don't do what I want to do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. Woe is me, wretched man. Who's going to help me? Jesus. Okay? This is just the gospel. This is the basic plain gospel. You can only let God into your mind, will, and emotions by letting the Spirit tell you things you don't already think. So if you're like, you see a situation, you're like, God, that's the wrong person. That's the right person. You got to do something about the wrong person. Bless the right person. You're probably wrong. You're probably wrong. God makes his rain fall on the evil and the wicked, or the wicked and the good. He lets his light shine on both. He doesn't treat people the way that we would in our minds to get the behavior that we think God ought to want. And he didn't do that with you, (laughs) thankfully. He has a whole way of wooing you to decide you want to want to. And until you decide you want to want to, he actually lets you over to your own self-leadership in many ways. And that's the perfect contents People that claim to know God doing things that aren't nothing like God, that's the perfect Petri dish for righteousness to grow in if you want God to lead you. Do you see what I'm saying? So you don't need a a sterile environment for righteousness to grow. In fact, it won't grow in a sterile environment. It will only grow in an environment where some tears are present, where some people who claim to want God are actually doing the exact opposite thing. So you might be like, I'm quenching all the smoldering flaxes because they're smoking my eyes, and I just we got to clean this place out so we can just get God, and you won't get God that way. You can only get God in the same context Jesus walked his earthly ministry out and said, come follow me unto a cross. If you were around people that all agreed with you and thought, you know, God's amazing, we love everything he says, there'd be no cross for you. And if there's no cross for you, there's no salvation for you. You have to decide that man's leadership is incapable of bringing righteousness to the earth. It's incapable of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. And that only happens in the context of people doing the wrong thing. You see what I'm saying? God is not a madman. This is all happening for you. This is all for you. If you're willing to stop being a victim and start being like Jesus, a sacrifice. If you're a victim of the bad things that are happening to you, you're just like the world. The whole world is victimized right now. It's the fall of man. It's sin. It's the, it's the cost of sin is all the pain. If you're a victim of that, you're nothing like Jesus. Jesus wasn't a victim of any of this. He took that pain and turned it into a cross, a sacrifice. Do you see what I'm saying? Same trouble, same truth, just a different perspective, a different thought life. Okay, God, I don't need you to change everybody else. Change me. Do you know Jesus needed to change? He had to learn righteousness. It says that in the Bible. He actually, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told God, I don't feel good about this cross thing. And God changed his thought life. Peter, in contrast, felt great about the cross thing. I'm ready to die for you. But his thought life wasn't changing at all. And so what proceeded out of him was sin. He fell away. And Jesus said, if you love me, Feed my sheep. Don't do what you want to do. Do what I want you to do. He said, when you were a young man, you went where you wanted to. Now that you're mature, people are going to tie you up. You're going to go where you don't want to go. Where you don't want to go is forgiving enemies, praying for those who curse you, blessing those who spitefully use you. You don't want to go there. And if you don't go there, you're not saved. You're simply unsaved. And you can say all the holy things you want to, pray all the prayers, sing all the songs, wear the t-shirt, but you're not saved. 
until you treat people like Jesus does. You're unsaved. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, you're justified if you tell God, I want the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You're justified. You're sanctified when you let that spirit touch your thoughts, your emotions, and what you're going to do. And you'll be glorified to the measure you're sanctified. But you are not saved until you've worked out your salvation. That's what it says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's in the notes. If you're looking for God to empower your good ideas, your political good ideas, your religious good ideas, your moral good ideas about how the world should be, abortion, good politics, everybody knowing God, these are dreams of the flesh. That's got nothing to do with what God is doing. Do you know babies have been being killed since God made man? What he wants is for you to stop killing them in your selfish ambition, in your pride, in your arrogance. And until you do that, you can't cast any demons out that are responsible for abortion. Now, God hates abortion. Don't get me wrong. But he's not going to get rid of abortion until he gets rid of sin. That's clear. I mean, the Valley of Hinnom. Sam and I walk literally through the Valley of Hinnom every day. They sacrifice their children to Molech in the Valley of Hinnom. We go from one prayer place to another prayer place by going down and up through the Valley of Hinnom. Like, that's still a cursed place to this day because of it. God doesn't like it, but he's not going to violate your thought life. And it's impatience and selfishness that creates abortion. And until you deal with impatience and selfishness, you really don't have any basis to be praying against abortion. Though we should to the measure that we have faith, okay? So it's not like we don't pray about abortion. It's just we don't pray arrogantly about abortion, ignoring all of our own sin. We don't take the log out of somebody else's eye, ignoring the log in our own eye or the speck out of somebody else's eye. That's what that means. So if you're looking for God to empower your good ideas about how the world should be, you're of an antichrist spirit. If you're looking for God to turn your gaze toward complete heart renovation, then you're in the race of the true gospel for the upward call of Christ. That's what Paul preached in Philippians. So this is the difference. You have to get out of saving your world or hoping God saves your world or hoping God will get other people to save your world. And you have to get into saying, I need to be ready for another world. There's a heaven coming, and I have to get ready to get into that heaven And the only way that's going to happen is when you let God tell you thoughts that come from heaven instead of you telling him thoughts that come from earth. So your prayer life will change as you do what I'm saying, okay? An inward gaze with a view to change itself sees difficult outward circumstances as opportunities to change, not setbacks. This is one of the main ways you know that you're being sanctified is you stop wishing God would fix things around you. And you actually are like, God, don't take that thing away till it does its work in my life. Don't take that circumstance away from me until it's done its work in my life. So you might have a hard relationship. An un, a person that doesn't care about sanctification, they just want God to save them, like the thief on the cross who didn't go to paradise. He's like, if you're the son of man, save yourself and save us, right? That's not a good prayer. Save me, God. Save my world. That's unsanctified. That means I want something else to change because I don't want to change. But if you're like, I have this hard relationship, this is a great opportunity for me to change. God loves hard, difficult people. And I don't. I think when people threaten my identity, they threaten my circumstances, that that's awful. And I I don't want that to happen. That's your flesh. Jesus would see it and say, if you're like me, I made that person. They don't breathe without my help. They don't think, actually, without my help. And I'm letting them work out their own salvation too. Can you be in this petri dish where righteousness grows and let yourself become righteous? Not breaking off a bruised reed, not quenching a smoldering flax, loving your enemy, 
Praying for those who spite, I mean, listen to that, those words. Praying for those who spitefully use you. They use you on purpose. You're supposed to bless them and pray for them. Now, only a supernatural led by Jesus person would do this. And you have all kinds of people you're striving with right now. And if you're afraid of losing this life, you will continue to strive with them. And then you will have an eternity separated from Jesus for real. But if you're like, I'll, I'm willing to lose to my enemies for the sake of the gospel. I'm willing to lose to my enemies for the sake of getting the character and personality of Christ inside of me. Then you will forever be blessed to be right by Jesus. And you'll have an eternity of gentleness and self-control and love and peace and joy. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's entirely up to you in the way you let yourself think about your circumstances right now. You have to decide how you're going to think about them. Okay? So an inward gaze with a view to change, what I mean is you're looking inside, what do I feel, what do I think, what do I do? And you look at Jesus, you're like, I I really must become like him. And he's like, well, the only way that's going to happen, friend, is if you're in a situation like I was in, a hostile one from people that claim to know God. And then you're like, I'm going to be like Jesus in this situation. Do you know Jesus on the cross? He looked at the Pharisees. He looked at the Sadducees. He looked at the high priest. He looked at the Roman guards. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then in Acts, we see a sect of the Pharisees in the church. It worked. He prayed it, and it worked. Some of the Pharisees got saved. Right now, God wants to save Hamas, for example. And he wants to save Israel. And he's given Israel the perfect context for righteousness right now. And you'd be like, no, you got to take that away, God. And certainly we don't want pain. Certainly we don't want unrighteousness to exist. But this is a pretty prophetic book. I don't know if you know this, but like there's stuff in here that has to happen. In a siege of Israel and her enemies, especially Gaza, you read Zephaniah 2. You can read the news in Zephaniah 2 right now. Did you know that? Did you know Zephaniah 2 is laying out play by play the, the Hamas attack against Israel? And it says the captives are going to be released. It actually says this. It says God's, God will release his captives. Now, what that, the way God means that, I don't know. But I take confidence in saying the captives are going to be released, not because the IDF is good and not because man is smart and not because Hamas is gentle, but because God is sovereign and he said it. And so I look at the Hamas war and I say, God, no longer than it must, but don't remove it till it's changed me. Till it's changed me. Don't remove it from my view till it's changed me. Now, being here is very difficult because the intensity here is so low. Everybody here is concerned about this life. I want to tell you, it's weird. You get out of this culture, it's totally different. I mean, just I'm not even talking about whether people have money or something to hold on to. I'm talking about the fact that we are an individualistic, isolated, my own world, my own life, my own farm, my own reality people. And the rest of the world, honestly, is not like that. They're a come together. This is a culture. This is a family. This is a community people. This is Babylon. I want to tell you, this is Babylon. It's the only place that can afford to have the attitudes it has. And you got to come out of Babylon. you got to come out of it. And if you want God to save America, you hate God. If you want God to save people out of America, you love God. You have to decide that that's true. You have to decide that there's no righteous nation in the Bible besides Israel. None. There's no righteous nation in the Bible besides Israel. Did you know that? It's going to be a nation of kings and priests. That's what we're going to be talking about on Monday nights. We're going to be talking about the prophetic destiny of Israel and how to agree with God about it and how to watch for him unfolding it right now, and he is right now. 
So I uh, give you that Philippians 2, 12 to 15 on page 2 of the notes to work out your own salvation. We should read that, actually. Uh, and, and just before that, I was talking about sanctification, justification, and glorification. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Why does he say that, much more in my absence? Because we live in front of other people. We live a life in front of people that we respect. We live a life in front of people that we care about their opinion. We live a life so that people will see us as good people. And Paul's like, I'm leaving on purpose so that you will be righteous when I'm not here. So that you will work out your salvation when Coach Paul's not around. That you would actually see God is with you all the time. He sees everything. His eyes are much more penetrating than Paul's. So he says, even in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do you see that? Do you see it's God's, it was God's idea that you would be righteous. It's his will. You never came across a thought and thought to yourself in your own flesh, I want to be a good person. You might think you did, but you didn't. You never thought a thought that was good without God. He wills it, and then he does it. So if you're like, I want to be a good person, you have to know God initiated that thought. And if he started it, he'll finish it. That's actually the context of in Philippians 1. It says God is faithful to finish this good work which he started in you. He started the idea of wanting to be a good person. So if you disconnect that idea of wanting to be a good person from him, you're idolatrous. It's his idea, not yours. It's his earth. He made it, not yours. It's his people. He made them, not you, right? And it's his plan, his redemptive plan, not yours. So we have to be a humble people that are like, oh, I don't, even the thoughts in my head need to be continually sifted through the truth of God, okay? For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Now listen to this. Do all things without complaining or disputing. Now you guys are in church. Everybody look at me for just a second, if you don't mind. Is it easy to do all things without complaining or disputing? Is it possible to do all things without complaining or disputing? Wait, wait, wait. Not without God. Who said that? The prophetic Aliyah. Where do wars and quarrels come from? You want, right? You lust for them. You need them. We need, God, we need your kingdom now. But you refuse to ask for them and receive them. When you ask, you ask them this. So if there's a war, a quarrel in a spirit-filled church, it's wanting the things of God without God. You cannot do all things without complaining or disputing. This is not a condemnation of you. This is an invitation to say, God, if there's complaining and disputing, you're not leading something. And it's not my job to find out those smoldering flaxes and the bent reeds. Where are you not leading me? I need the context of people doing things wrong to become righteous because I need this question coming up in my heart. Now, many people will never ask the question. They'll go to church meetings. They'll never ask the question. They'll always assume somebody else is wrong, somebody else did it wrong, somebody else screwed it up. If they would just get it together, everything would be better. They won't be saved. Don't worry about that. That's none of your business. They won't be saved. But you could be. You could be. So he's given you the perfect context to say to God, God, what is it in here? that's just smoldering? What is it here that's broken? Will you heal it? Will you fix it? Give me another idea about how I can change. And don't take away the circumstances, the pressure and the heat that metamorphose sedimentary rock into metamorphic rock. You need the pressure and the heat. Jonah, you're starting a prayer room? You need the pressure and the heat. Otherwise, it's not a real prayer room, right? Because it's something God wants to do. Caitlin, the pressure and the heat, you don't want to take it away. You actually want to say, okay, God, How can I do this like Jesus 
Don't take the context away. Don't take the situation. I'm not going to quit because it's hard. I'm going to step into it because it's changing me. Let's just pray for Joan and Caitlin right now. They're actually in the process of starting a house of prayer. Let's just stretch out our hands to them, if you don't mind. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that it's been, it's been great and terrible both already, that there is good ideas, great, great leadership of the Spirit, and also circumstances that require faith and patience. We just thank you. That's right, that, that it's working. We just say, God, we see it working. Finish what you started. Give them grace to stay in it. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're so proud of you. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Do you see that? Do you see God? He's not, he doesn't need anybody to help his kingdom come. He wants you to become blameless and harmless. That's the whole point. He could make his kingdom come right now. He could call on all the legions. He could get rid of all the bad guys, make all the good guys flourish. He doesn't want to do that without you getting a hold of your thought life and letting him change you because you had self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So is love, so is joy, so is peace, so is is patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. It's one fruit. It tastes like this. Do you see what I'm saying? In gentleness and self-control, they're part of the same fruit. You need self-control right now. You need to actually take your thoughts captive. Now, I want to tell you, most of you won't. That's okay. I need the context of you not doing it for me to become righteous. I hope we all do it. That's what God said. I, I'm, my will is that none perish. But what kind of person should you be? That's what he said in, in 2 Peter 3. His desires, we would all do it. But the truth is, some of us are hard in our hearts, and we won't. Some of us are hard in our hearts, and we won't for a couple of years, and then we will. Some of us will see the return of Jesus, go to him, say, I can't have demons in your name. Didn't many wonders in your name. You know, why are you not letting me in? And he'll say, I never knew you, but you're not dead. That's what he said to Israel, right? He's got a plan to save all of Israel 2,000 years later. He's going to save the church 1,000 years after he comes. But there's a bride, there's a pure and spotless bride that says yes to what I'm saying on the front end in faith. But no one will live in heaven without doing what I'm telling you. It's just there, you're not running out of time to do it. You just, you, there's an opportunity to do it in faith right now, to believe without seeing And then when he comes, he'll make you a leader in what I'm describing for a thousand years. You want that. You want to be close to him, okay? So he says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So if God just took all the bad stuff away, it was only good stuff, would you shine as something different? No. He's not going to do that. He wants us to pick the light in the midst of the darkness. It requires the darkness. Holy Spirit, help us to pick the light in the, in the midst of the darkness. God isn't at all concerned that his kingdom will manifest. It will. Don't worry, it will. There's no doubt or question. It's not dependent on man. Thank God. God is willing, if we are and are concerned and concerned, that we not fall into the devil's schemes with our thought life. Our willingness to resist offense, betrayal, and ultimately murder is being tested by the events of these last days. God's looking for those who go into the safe place in the judgment of truth, which is the tabernacle of David. He's looking for people that are like, I'm going into the ark. I'm going to guard my thoughts. The whole world doesn't think rain's coming. I'm building a boat, and I'm going to go in it. And yes, it's going to be a week until it even starts raining. I don't care. If I'm getting my thoughts from heaven, not from earth. Who am I describing? Yes, Noah. Noah Stoltz? (laughs) Noah, hopefully, right? Hopefully. Luke 17, 20 to 30. 
Now when he was asked by Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. What? (laughs) What about eschatology? Be certain and hold it loosely. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. These days are right now, okay? These are happening right now. And you will not see it. Oh, And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. What he's saying is something not nuanced at all, actually very clear. He's saying there's a certain amount of heat and pressure you need to become ready for me to come. I'm not slack as some imagine slackness. I'm unwilling that anyone would perish. The Father alone knows the day and the hour, but I know his plan, and his plan is to put you under an extreme amount of heat and pressure in the last days so you're ready to meet me. That's what he's saying. You're going to desire to see it? Anybody right now like, Jesus, come. I mean, I see what's happening in the families of Israel from the Hamas attack. I see what's happening as, as they fight back. I see the lies in the world. I see the media being twisted. I see Israel being confused. I see the nation surrounding her with armies, thinking they're going to help her, knowing that the Bible says they're going to lay siege to her. And I'm like, God, come. And he's like, not yet, son. Not yet. Not until this heat and this pressure gets this cry out of my people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We Rejoice in the name of the Lord. Blessed, or this is the day which the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad. That's a thought statement. That's not a sight statement. They're saying this is the worst day in our lives, but we will rejoice and be glad because God gave us this day. So let's take it all the way back to today, Sunday. What pressure and heat is God giving you that you're pining for him to take it away? And he's like, not until I'm done with you. Not until, we're, not until you're ready. If you want out of the heat and the pressure, he will let you out eventually. That's called giving strong delusion to people. So we have to be like, okay, well, what do I do? He says, take captive your thoughts. See this from my perspective. Gather together. Stir each other up. Not in, okay, just hang on a minute more, and God's going to get rid of that bad army, or God's going to get rid of that bad politician, or God's going to get rid of that bad disease. No. God, don't take any of it away until we're ready. Stirring each other up in love and good works. God, this is the perfect context for the kingdom to be seen. This, is, this darkness is a great context for light. And it's not just out there. It's in here. Inner conflict. Marriage conflict. It's the greatest chance for you to be selfless and let your partner win. Family conflict. It's the greatest chance to give your kids to God. Church conflict. It's the greatest chance to let the Lord build the house instead of you. Just don't quit. Don't break off the bent reed. Don't quench the smoldering flax. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's not up to you. What's going to happen to you? That's up to you. That's up to you. The days will come. You'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For his lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines into the other part. So also the Son of Man will be in his day. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. That's why I threw that Noah analogy in there. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will happen again. People that don't hear this message, it's not my words that people need to hear. It's the Bible. But hard hearts that don't hear, you got to change. You'll just keep doing life. And he will come and reject you. And you will think 
I was amazed. I did everything I could to serve you. And he'll be like, you put yourself in my presence 24 hours a day. That should have changed you even more. I'll hold you more accountable for being in my presence more. He really will. He's, he's not impressed by us coming and praying a lot. He's generous. He's willing to give us what we ask for. But if we come and think he's a hard man, not really giving it, and we're just, you know, working for you, Lord, we're delusional. This is a gift. This isn't something we do for him. This is something he does for us. That's in Leviticus 26, if you want to find that. They ate, they drank, they married wives, were given in marriage till the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom and rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so it will be on the day of the Son of Man was revealed. Jesus is coming. I, have, I love the way Noah said it last week. He's like, it might be a day like this. He's coming on a day. Like any other day, people are going to go to work. People are going to come home from work that same day. If he comes in the middle of the day, people are going to go to work, and some people are going to come home from work. Some people won't. Some people will go to be with him. People are going to go to bed that night. Some people will wake up. Some people will wake up somewhere else. It's going to be just a normal day, a normal night. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And I want to tell you, it's coming soon. The Spirit tells me, so soon, so soon, months, not years. You got, in my opinion, no time to waste. Today might be your last day. It's a snowy day. It's a slippery road. You don't know what's going to happen. This might be the day you meet the Lord. Do you want to meet him? Full of complaints, bitterness, doubts, worries, fears, you know. Or do you want to meet him looking for the things that God is doing, meditating on the good things that God is doing? That's a thought life choice, and that's a prayer choice, because prayer is a thought choice. All imposters, those who occupy the body or tabernacle, but not for their own heart change, will be removed and gathered with the tares. That's Matthew 13. And eventually, they'll be cast into hell. So the harlot Babylon, I had somebody ask me this this week. I don't get it. What, what's Babylon and what's the harlot Babylon? Babylon is the same thing you read about in Genesis 11. It's the nations getting together, having one language and one speech, trying to do something good. The harlot Babylon is when the church takes part in that. Because the church is supposed to have another God. God does not expect the earth to have anything but flesh and self-will. It, can't, it doesn't have an option. You have an option if you have God inside of you. And if you have God inside of you and you go with the world, and do you guys see all the pressure right now in the world? Pressure to have a dis- an opinion about Hamas that the world has, or pressure to have an opinion about Israel that, is- that the world has, or pressure to have this opinion because the right has it, this opinion because the left has it. Do you guys see the right and the left completely melding into one thing right now? The, the, the final iteration is going to be no right and left. It's not going to be a political right and left. It's going to be active, we're doing something, passive, you're just praying and waiting on God. That's going to be the final iteration. But the people that are just praying and waiting on God, they're going to be filled with supernatural power. They're going to do way more than the people that are overworking. They're going to overflow, okay? So don't be like, oh, doing nothing is what God wants. No, God, God wants to be the leader. He wants to be the strength. He wants to be the, the God of the thing. So all imposters will be removed and gathered with the tares and eventually cast into hell, but there's a process that that happens in, and for a while, the tares are going to claim to be the church, and they're going to try to kill the wheat. I'm going to say that again. The tares, those who work in their own strength, don't concern themselves with their own heart change. They want God to change everything else around them. They want God to change circumstances. They're going to eventually kill the wheat, and Jesus wants that to happen. Do you know Jesus wants that to happen? Why? So the wheat changes. So the wheat bears fruit. Not one hair of your head will be lost. Some of you will die. Not one hair of your head will be lost. Can you accept this reality? Can you accept losing 
a war. You can't accept losing a war if you can't lose in arguments, if you can't lose in relationships. You can't accept losing a war. You might think you're ready to die for him, but if you can't lose in the easy place with people that are supposed to love God, you will definitely not lose when people want to kill you. You'll have all kinds of good God reasons to fight. So right now, you have to be like, God, where can I lose arguments? If you're always right, if you're like, I remembered it right, Sam and I were joking. Because Sam and I have this thing where we don't remember things very good from 30 or 40 years ago. And especially movie characters. So I'm like, of course, you know. I don't know. I don't even have a good example. Sam says, don't even try to give a good example. But like in my heart, I want to be right. So I get on Google. I'm searching it. I want to be right. I want to be right. And Sam wants to be right. She's even worse than I am. Want to be right. Want to be right. Want to be right. And the Lord arrested me two weeks ago. And he's like, stop it. Why do you always have to be right? Let it go. He's like, if you always have to be right, how are you going to do this? It's so small, but it really does create some conflicts. Every once in a while, we're like, she's so obstinate. No, she's not so obstinate. She's so human, right? Or she could be like, he's so obstinate. No, he's a smoldering flax, maybe. But if I stop wanting to be right, what do you think is going to happen to Sam? I mean, I just said it out loud. She's, she's, she's doomed to be right for like at least two months. Right? Because that'd be evil if you were like, I'm right again. Right? We just set a witness for each other. We can stir each other up in love and good works. We could actually be like, you know what? You win. You win. You lead it. You run it. You do it. I'll serve you in it. I'll pray for you in it. I'll help you. I'll plant the fruit trees. <laughs> I just always remember David and Stephen, they wanted to plant the fruit trees. I'm like, I don't get it. But the Lord was like, there's a lot of stuff they're doing for you that they don't get. <laughs> Go plant the tree. Dig the hole. Like, what's the big deal? It's much bigger than that. Do you want to go to heaven? This is how heaven does stuff. Or do you want to burn with the earth? Because this is how the earth burns. And you know, if you're burning in your heart with offense, with fear, with impatience, with your rights, with a desire for vindication, this is not about me being vindicated. And this is not about you being vindicated. This is about Jesus being glorified. And he will be. He really will be. Just a couple more minutes. Okay, so uh, this idea that all the tares, they're going to be sifted out, right? Who sifts them out? The angels. Thank you. Which angels? Because there's two different kinds of angels. Both. Both kinds of angels sift people out of the kingdom. Okay? And God wants to sift them out. Now listen to this. God uses Satan to sift. This causes the arrogant to become delusional, trusting in their own affection for Jesus. They think, I would never be serving Satan because I love Jesus. But the truth is, until you get Jesus' leadership, you are corrupting the kingdom. And God doesn't mind. He's actually not expecting anyone to start anywhere but in the flesh because you can't. He's not giving anyone a super holy download, Jesus download, where they don't have to do anything to work out their salvation. You are all somewhere in the spectrum of breaking from God's enemy, Satan, in your thought life. We're all somewhere in that spectrum. This is Luke 22, 31 to 34. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It's plain as day in the Bible. The angel that God mostly uses to sift the, what, is, what is offending him and his kingdom out is Satan. And Satan comes as an angel of light. He says things that sound like God, but they put the responsibility and the weight on you to deal with God's enemies instead of on God to deal with you. That's how you know, okay? I'm going to say that one more time. Satan gives you good ideas 
of how to deal with all of God's enemies or God's realities or bringing God's kingdom. But the Holy Spirit, he puts your understanding on God dealing with you, not the circumstances around you, okay? And I'm going to show you this in the Bible. But I've prayed for you. Jesus says, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus refused to save Peter from this sifting. He refused to save Peter from Satan. Peter could have cried out, no, don't let Satan get me. And God would have been like, I actually told him to do it. So what is the prayer then? Oh, God, don't let my faith fail. Change my thought life. Don't let me think like him. He knows how the flesh thinks. That's how he thinks. He's an expert master at how the flesh thinks. He's an expert master at wanting to be God. If Satan could pull it off, he would be the most benevolent, loving, joyful, kind, gentle leader the earth has ever seen. He would love to usurp God that way. He can't. It's not in him to do it. So he can only counterfeit and lie, and it brings death and destruction. You see what I'm saying? So we have to be a people that are like, God, change me so that I am sober-minded and diligent because the enemy's like a lion looking for whom he may devour. And that's what Jesus is praying for, Simon. I prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and then when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Don't ever say that to Jesus. Say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me glorify you. Save me to glorify you. God, let me be a witness of your glory, even if it means losing my life, right? Save me from rebelling against you, not save, me, save my life and save my circumstances. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I'll tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Jesus knew this because of Peter's arrogance. That's an arrogant statement. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus is like, I'm going to die for you, man. Why do you want to be God? Why do you want to be God? Okay, you'll be held accountable for your thoughts. Last point. So I give you a bunch of thoughts. So this, these first one, two, three, four on page three of the notes, five, it spills onto page four of the notes. These are Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're guilty of murder. You're going to be held accountable for your thoughts. You might think I'm keeping myself from sin. I didn't yell at the person. I didn't tell them they were an idiot, even though they are. And he'd be like, that's the thought that I'm judging. That's the thought I'm judging. This terrifies me because I have a lot of thoughts that aren't God's thoughts. And he likes that. It's called the fear of the Lord. So I got a lot to work out with Jesus because I think if I don't say it out loud, then the person didn't hear it and I didn't commit the sin. But God's like, you heard it said, don't murder. But I say when you're angry with your brother without cause, your brother might not even know it. I find you guilty of murder. And I will sift you out of my kingdom. I will let Satan orchestrate the perfect circumstances in your life that you would take that thought and execute it. That's what's happening right now. And if you don't think this is possible, look at Nazi Germany in World War II. People that shared sugar across the fence literally killed their neighbors when God lifted his hand of restraint and gave mankind over to its own leadership. It's happening right now. Right now. What you see in Israel is going to spread out to the ends of the earth. My mother-in-law, who's not a believer, said it at Thanksgiving. She's like, nothing stays in Israel. My mother-in-law, who's not a believer, prophesied something that we should all know. Nothing stays in Israel. About Hamas. She was seeing Hamas. She's like, it's not going to stay there. And she's right. It's not going to stay there. The Lord is merciful. He's telling this to the whole world right now. 
But the church is arrogant and hard-hearted and won't hear it. They're like, we know everything we need to know. Yeah, we heard that. But I'm telling you, don't cry for Israel. Cry for you. Cry for you. Cry out for you right now. So the devil's main strategy is to infect our minds with the shame, doubt, impatience, jealousy, fear, and anxiety, so we'll take matters into the flesh. We cannot resist sin, but we can resist the devil. You can't change your emotions, but you can change your mind. This is where self-control starts. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's your part. That's what you're supposed to do. So when your spouse annoys you, you're supposed to say, God, I'm annoyed. And I know I'm supposed to be a, a dyer here, not a, not a winner. I'm supposed to be a, a, a yielder right here. I don't want to yield in my own flesh. I don't want to grit my teeth and ignore problems. I want to know, Jesus, what are you saying about this situation? What are you saying to my wife right now? Like, how do you see her? What do you feel about her? And how do I use the context of her misunderstanding me or being mad at me to change? How do I use this petri dish for righteousness to come out of me right now? Don't remove the problem until it's accomplished its work in me right now. If you'll do this, you literally will have no problems. They will all be opportunities for you to change. But if you don't do this, God is orchestrating more and more pressure and heat on you to either break you or make you, whichever you decide. You pick based on the thoughts that you let yourself think. Okay, And being ready to punish all those disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And what that means is the people that do what I just said, they will judge everybody who doesn't because it's possible. Just the, the witness in the earth that it's possible for you to have that Isaiah 42 character of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, by taking control of your thought life, it will judge everyone who is lazy with their thoughts and their emotions, who just reacted to what they were feeling, what they thought they understood, what they thought the person said. You don't even, people don't even know what they're saying a lot of the time. You ever had that experience? You're in a situation, you're caught off guard, you just say something, you're like, man, if I could think about that a little bit longer, I wouldn't have said that thing. But, you know, that causes a whole storm of chain reaction of events if people just react to each other. But if we can get out of that, we're like, and God's like, you know, they were just upset. They just, they, they really didn't mean it like that. We'd be like, okay, I'd do that too. And then we can actually move on together in righteousness and becoming like Jesus. Okay, this is, this is good marriage advice. I just saw Marion look at Noah like, hey, this might work. This might be good. It will. Trust me, it will. Okay, uh, so last thing, Luke 4, 1 to 13. Worship team, you can come back up. The devil flees from those who guard their minds. Okay, so I give you all these passages where Jesus says, don't be deceived either himself or through the spirit of Jesus talking through the writers of the New Testament. And there's many passages there. So you might think, God would never let me be deceived. And God's like, I actually set it up so you would be unless you acknowledge, acknowledge that you could be, okay? So the devil flees from those that guard their minds. He attacks those who are lazy with their thoughts and emotions, and God has set it up this way. So you don't want to give yourself a little bit more license. I'm just going to be annoyed about this for a couple more days. That's like saying, I just want the devil to stab me like 60 more times. I'm just hoping the devil like, gets in there just a little bit deeper. I'll give him a couple more days to get deeper. Like That's crazy. You don't want to do that, okay? Listen to this, Luke 4, 1 to 13. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. 40 days. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
But Jesus answered him saying, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Satan was trying to incite Jesus into the flesh. Do this thing. You should, if you're going to be the son of God, prove it. And Jesus was like, just because I can doesn't mean I should. There's lots of things people want you to do because you're a good Christian. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's whatever God says. You're never going to be seen as a good Christian if you're actually a follower of Yeshua. Never. Only from heaven's perspective. But then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, it's all this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Do you know that the devil held your safety in the balance in front of Jesus? He said, they won't have to do all this stuff. They won't have to endure this war. You won't have to endure the cross. They won't have to follow you through all this trouble. And Jesus said, no. How else would they be righteous? How else would they pick God in the midst of darkness if there was no darkness? Get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's his plan. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It's been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus resisted the devil by not doing all he had power to do. He had self-control. Jesus put all the weight for salvation of the world on his Father. Jesus put all the weight for the safety of you on his Father. Jesus resisted the shame of what a good Messiah looked like. Jesus resisted the lies of the enemy crafted to look like kingdom principles. God's raising up a war against you to test your desire for self-control and your willingness to let your enemies win. If you want that, stand with me. Do you, don't, don't stand and pray with me if you don't want to let your enemies win. If you're like, no, I'm not letting the, good, the bad guys win. Don't pray this. Because if God gives you this and you don't actually use it, it'll be held against you. So do you want to let your enemies win? You just don't have it within you to do it? Ask him, Holy Spirit, right now in this room. God, would you give grace, grace to see things from heaven's perspective. God, hold me accountable. Tell him, hold me accountable to have a character like Jesus in the midst of conflict. Say that to him. Say, hold me accountable to have character like Jesus in the midst of conflict. Sift me. Tell him, sift me, God. I want to be fruitful. I want to be tested, tried, Refine me. Prove me. I've sung the song a thousand times, God, but did I ever pray it? Test me. Try me. Prove me. Refine me like the gold. God, help me stop asking for different circumstances and ask you for a different heart. Let me hear my own complaints, God. Let me hear the way they hurt your heart. Let me hear the way I talk about people you made, God. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. I just made some space for you. Fill me with your love. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Jesus is the fullness of love. When he submitted to the Father and didn't go and heal Lazarus, he did the most loving thing he could do in that moment. God, change my thoughts. Change my emotions. God, I don't want to be led myself. I want to be led by you because you're going to do so many things that look so unloving to me, but they're the most loving things I can do. see things exactly as you do and um, I don't recognize it as what you're saying Lord where I look at something and I think oh we haven't won God didn't win but he always wins and I know that but Lord I'm so sorry where I just think that and I don't take control of my thoughts because my thoughts come from my heart and my heart isn't in that right place, Lord. So would you please move my heart to the right place that I would just know constantly and I would feel it as well because I know these things. I've been taught them since I was so young and yet, Lord, I still need them to be in my heart. I still need to to know them so deeply that that's just my reaction is to go to these things.
There's nothing I hold on to There's nothing I hold on to All of the things that we're tempted to hang on to So that we don't lose them So that we don't drop them So that they don't break There's nothing That's not safer in his hands Than it is in our hands I just want us to do, just prophetically, hold up our hands to him and tell him there's nothing I hold on to. There's nothing I hold on to. There's nothing I hold on to. He cares way more about you being righteous than you do. He cares way more about you being loving than you do. He cares way more about your unsaved family members than you do. There's nothing I hold on to. There's nothing I hold on to. God, I am sorry where I put pressure, where I try to push people, um, but I do it quiet, and I do it slow, and I convince myself, just elude myself that it's gentleness, and it's not, just because it's not loud and intense. I just want to give up that kind of control that I... And, and think is good because it's not violent, but it is violent still, Lord. I just want to acknowledge that it is violent still, that I have a kind of dressed up violence in my heart. I just want to give it to you, Lord. Adam and Eve covering ourselves because we're ashamed but when we're uncovered by you Lord that we would fall down on our knees and worship you God I ask that we would thank you when you save us from our sin and we only get saved from our sin when our sin is found out God, I thank you for where you reveal my sin to me. 
Don't stop doing it, Lord. Don't stop convicting my heart, Lord, please. God, I know I ask in arrogance and an immaturity. to keep my sin out of the forefront. But God, I ask that you would bring it up and that I would give it back to you and then be gone. God, I don't want to hide it in my heart. I want to hide you in my heart. Find out my sin. Get it out of there. I want to hide you in my heart. I don't want to hide sin in my heart. image of um, when you're the, uh, it made me think of the song that was the, um, I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. And um, I was just thinking about that and I was like, that seems so like scary and almost reckless to just, to just climb this mountain that's so hard to climb with, without holding on to anything. And he also showed me a, um, a vision of just you're holding on to something and you're holding on to it and you're thinking it's so much safer in my hands and if I drop it then it'll break but he's saying that no if you drop it I'll catch it I'm right there and it'll be safer in my hands than in your hands and you're just confusing yourself by thinking it's safer with you holding on to it but if you just let it go, then it'll be safer. Because every time you fall, you're not taking down whatever you're holding with you. So Lord, where I'm holding something that I just don't want to let go because I'm fearful that it'll break, Lord, I give it to you because I know that it's safer there. he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Lord, I just repent before you for not loving my brothers and sisters, God, for seeing myself as the victim, Lord, instead of seeing it as I've said things, I've thought things to bring down my brothers and sisters, God, to lead them astray. Lord, I just repent before you, Lord, and ask that you would help me to see my brothers and sisters rightly, to see them as you see them. Lord, would you change me from the inside out? In Jesus' name.
Yes, I, I disagree with Sienna's prayer about loving my brothers and sisters. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Lord, I admit before you that I love the darkness. I don't like saying that, but it's true, Lord. I'm asking you put in me a love for the light that I'd be willing to just lay it all down bare before you, Lord. All my lack of love and all of the things that you're showing me, I don't want to cover them up with shame. I don't want to dive into some looking at all the darkness in me. I just want to look at you. I just want to be filled with your light. I want it to be your glory that people see Lord, I admit before you that I'm dark, but you, you are so beautiful. You are so radiant, Lord. Just give me eyes to see. Just make me love sick. Make me love sick, Lord. Some of you will know when I read this that this is called, um, in Israel, it's called the Shema. And um, when some people read the Shema or, or, or sing the Shema, they cover their eyes. And I was just thinking um, when Tom was talking earlier um, that if my eyes are closed, I'm not um, going to see.